So we have uh, encouraged you through the years to uh, invest and to invite, invest and to invite, invest kindness, invest the gospel, invest service, invest ministry, and just serve people. And then invite them, invite them to church, invite them to uh, coffee, uh, invite them to conversations, just uh, different ways you can invite them. Um, When you invite people to church, that is a form of witnessing, uh, just to hear the gospel and songs. And so I want you to avail yourself of the cards that are there in your seats or or around you uh, on the front row. They're here on every seat and uh, take those and use them. This week in your streets and so forth. And let's uh, see people saved uh, this coming Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, when we celebrate Easter. I kind of hate to say that. We do that every day, don't we? Because of how good he's been to us. He lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have on my little uh, post-it note here to to pray for Joan Allen, Karen's mom. Uh, She, many of you know, had a stroke uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, six weeks, eight weeks ago or so. And then on the way into church, literally, uh, Brother Ken uh, sent me a note and told me that she passed away this morning. And so uh, <clears throat> we will let you know um, the the plans they have. We were over there this week and they told us a little bit, but we don't know all of the plans they'll have for a memorial service for her. Uh, Joan Allen is, I don't like to talk about uh, people in the past, not in a a romanticization way to remember them, but uh, Jesus is the I am, and if he lives in us, uh, uh, we live. But she is a great woman. Uh, In 2 Kings, I believe it's 2 Kings 4, uh, the phrase is used about a, a lady that Elisha met and said she was a great woman. And Joan Allen uh, is a great woman. Before she moved to Huntsville, she would come and visit uh, the Hislops, and uh, or as Jeremiah calls him, the Hipslops. When he was a little boy, uh, he couldn't say words right, and he called Miss Hipslops. And uh, you know, the one he did get right, he called Pam Miss Sicko. He got that one. He nailed that one. Uh, don't you think? You know, if I don't get anything else right, I got that one right. Uh, now, Andy, Andy is not, but Pam, that one, that one is right on. But uh, Joan would come and visit, and and her her quiet uh, demeanor, but but the the glow on her face reflects uh, Jesus. And then, uh, of course, she moved here. And what a what a great encourager, those of you that had time uh, to spend with her. And I always look forward to, to talking to her after church, and I, I could go on. But please pray for some of you who have lost a parent and, and know what that's like. And so uh, please pray for uh, Joan's husband, and pray for Karen and her family and her extended family. Karen's sister was here uh, a little over a month ago visiting. And so let's pray for uh, that precious family. And then pray for Kathy Belcher. She had surgery on her knee this past week. And she's doing, uh, I say well, I don't like to say that, people. You know, minor surgery is when it's on you, major surgery when it's on me. 
but uh, relatively speaking, she's recovering. So let's pray together for uh, uh, these dear people right now. Okay, Heavenly Father, uh, even as I uh, was in the Word of God this week and I was just uh, baptized in these passages on, on sorrow and grief and how that you, you carried our sorrows on the cross and you uh, identify with people that have broken hearts. And uh, Lord, uh, we fellowship with you in our suffering. And I pray for uh, Karen and her family right now, even those across the miles that are not in the city now. I pray the Holy Spirit of God would uh, do his work of comforter and minister grace and help to them. Um, thank you for the life of, of Joan Allen and how she contributed in her unique way to, to our church family, uh, kind of like a Barnabas, uh, just encouraging people, uh, sometimes through a, a kind smile, a word, an affirmation. What a, what a special person. Pray that you would administer help to them as only you can right now. I pray that you would help us as a church family now uh, in these coming days and weeks to to support uh, their family as they go through this time of grief. And we pray for Sister Kathy that you would uh, uh, help this surgery to be successful and the stress and pain that she's felt with her knees and God that you would uh, just prosper her and strengthen her. And, and um, God, thank you for doctors and medicine and procedures, but we know that you're the healer, you're the Rafa, and pray that you would uh, watch over our friend. And thank you for our brothers and sisters that are here this morning. We need to hear from you. I pray that you would help me as I uh, open the Word of God here and try to help our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John this morning. We've been in Luke for a while. We want to turn to John chapter 19. And uh, John chapter 19, and we're going to turn to verse 16 in just a moment. We'll read from there, John chapter 19 and verse 16. Come to the third statement of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was hanging on the cross. It's a very... uh, Dangerous thing to operate off of incomplete information. Uh, in fact, I I just refuse to do it. I'm sure I've done it sometimes, but I don't do it much. And I don't mean to say that from a standpoint of pride. I, I have been the object <laughs> of incomplete information. Uh, sometimes we'll get calls where someone will call and say, well, so-and-so is is in the hospital with this. And unless it's a relative, Paula knows. And, and forgive me, you may be the one calling. Somebody, I'll say, I, I want to confirm that. And I do not put out things on prayer chains and so forth until I know that I know that I know that I know. You say, well, well preacher, people need to know. I know they need to know the truth. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes, well, so-and-so told me. Well, who did they hear it from? Well, they heard it from so-and-so. And after a while, somebody had their head cut off when, you know, they just they stubbed their toe. I'm exaggerating a little bit. 
But sometimes the story gets twisted, not in a sinful way, but, uh, but in a different way. Incomplete information can be dangerous. First of all, there are wrong conclusions, but wrong conclusions lead to bad decisions. Now, when you go see the doctor, and I go to the doctor a lot, um, they, they want details. And uh, because of that, it kind of drives you nuts. But, but they're trying to get an accurate picture so they can make a proper diagnosis, so they can give you accurate treatment. Uh, years and years ago, I think it was 2007, 2006, something like that, uh, I was just uh, having, in fact, for, for several years, had just a, a lot of trouble in my back and my arms and, and, and things. I won't go into all of it. But uh, long story short, I had a bone spur, a stenosis there on my, on my neck, and it was pressing on, on nerves in my, my spine and so forth. And so the doctor told me, he said, now, Paula was in there with me. He said, now, here's what we're going to do. And he drew on that little white paper, you know, you have that you sit down there on the table. And we were sitting in the chair. And he said, here's what we're going to do. And he brought his pencil out, and he drew a neck, and he drew the bone spur. And he said, we're going to cut here. And he said, now, when you wake up, he said, the pain will be gone. And he didn't say it in an arrogant way. He just said it in a very simplistic, just a confident way. And I'm going to tell you, when you're hurting, that's just kind of good news. And I remember getting uh, on the way out, going towards the car, telling Paul, I said, you know, I'm afraid, I'm almost afraid to put my weight down on that. But I said, I really liked him because of the confidence that he said that. But it wasn't like, hey, I'm a, it wasn't a God complex. You know what I mean by that with some doctors? Like, I know what I'm doing, and I'm good at what. It wasn't like that. It was I've done this enough, and this will help you. And sure enough, I woke up, and uh, and the pain there. Now I must have another booger, another one of those boogers that came back in another place. But uh, those MRIs that you take, magnetic resonance imaging, uh, those things <clears throat> do an internal image to give you a very, very, very accurate picture of what is on the inside. Now, most of us, in fact, all of us, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, what the Bible says, we don't know what's in our heart. We do not have a a good diagnosis of what we're like on the inside. We don't understand what we're really like, and it's because of our pride. And that's a dangerous thing. When you do not know what's going on in your heart or where you're at in your spiritual walk, that's a dangerous thing because here's what happened. You begin to pretend or, or at best, you just kind of maintain the status quo. You just get in the car, grab your Bible, and you go to church, you go to life group, and you come to church, and then you get in the car, and you go home, and you just kind of put it on autopilot and when you continue, listen to this, when you continue on and you do not know where you are in your relationship with God, your tendency is to drift away from Him. And you're just drifting. There is no intentionality because there, there's no idea of where you are. You're just kind of on autopilot. Now, spiritual disciplines are good, but the disciplines are only good if they're applied to a certain a prescription, are they applied to something 
that's accurate. Now, drifting over time leads to a catastrophe. Just a little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. And then one day, you can see this in so many people in the Bible, one day you wake up and say, how in the world did I get here? And here's what's happened. You and I, we drifted there. Now, let me tell you something. Here's what we say sometimes. He fell into sin. She fell into sin. I fell into sin. I had a friend. um, He was a pastor and... And he um, he made some sinful decisions, and he told me he said, "Well, people are saying that that I fell into sin." He said, "I didn't fall into sin; I jumped into sin." And I know what people mean when they say you fall into sin, but nobody really falls into sin. It's it's a step by step. Bob Kelly, the uh, pastor and Columbia, South Carolina, at Grace Baptist Church. Before then, he was an evangelist, and he made this statement when I was in Bible college. I never forgot it. Here's what he said. He said, backsliding is not a blowout. It's a slow leak. That made sense to me. It's incremental. And if you don't have an accurate picture of, of where you're at over time with, with, this, with this drifting, and knowing, okay, I, I need to make some adjustments here. So, so let me pose a question. Suppose there was a, a spiritual MRI or a spiritual thermometer that you could use to help you gauge accurately where you were spiritually so you could make some corrections and help you grow. Would you use it? Well, I think anybody here that loves Christ, you would say, oh, absolutely I would. Well, I want to introduce you to one that's in our text today, and uh, it's very plain, and you'll see it. In John chapter 19, notice in verse 16. John chapter 19 and verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, that is, Pilate delivered Jesus. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called the Hebrew Golgotha, also called Calvary, which also means a skull. There they where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city are close to the city of Jerusalem. It's just outside uh, the northern part. Uh, there's two places where people think he was crucified. The traditional place is outside uh, the city, real close to the garden tomb area. And I visited both sites there. I, I favor that place. I showed you a picture of it when we first began this series of messages. Verse 20, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. It said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified, now watch this, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. They divided them up. So apparently there were five soldiers, you'll see here in a moment, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. 
Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. So there was no seam uh, in the inner tunic, this coat. So there were either four soldiers or five, and they were waiting. the fifth one was waiting on this, this precious part of the garment. It was very valuable. It was unusual. Verse 24, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rent it or divide it up, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. And it's significant, I think, that right after this happened is when Jesus spoke this third saying on the cross, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, and here's a statement, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. So he's talking to his mother first, Behold thy son. Then he says to John, the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple, that is John, took her unto his own home. Now here's my my theme for this message, and this is the, the spiritual MRI, the spiritual thermometer, and I want you to stay with me. This will help you. That your proximity to the cross will reveal your heart to God. Now get that. Your proximity to the cross will reveal your heart to God. So, therefore, you should draw near to the cross because it's there that you discover the nature of your heart. You do not know your heart until you draw close to Christ. Now, I outlined this with three primary main divisions. I just want to give you the first one this morning. And it's, it's this idea of the audience, the audience of the cross. Who was here in the audience Well, there were religious leaders, the text tells us here in other places. The soldiers were there. There were passers-by, those that were curious. It was on the main road, and people were executed. That's why it was called the Golgotha, the place of the skull, reminded them of death. That's why I believe it was the second place of Calvary, because it it looked like a skull. And um, so it was a very crowded, crowded place. But it's significant that Jesus' disciples were not there except for one. The Bible says in Matthew 27 that they, in Mark 15, that they had forsaken him. They had left him. Peter said, Lord, I, I, will, I will never leave you. But Peter had left him. They had all left him except, and John, by the way, John had left him too. But here he is, John, he's returning And here by the cross are four people. Now, there are some that are at a distance. The Bible says in Matthew 27, there are some people that loved him at a distance. But very close by the cross, there are four. There are three ladies, and there's one man, and that's John. The three ladies, they're all named Mary. Now, Mary was a common name back then, obviously, as was John. 
So you have Mary, 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 and John. Very common names. Now I want you to know this in verse 25. This, this expression has always, has always grabbed me. And this is kind of really what we're going to touch on. Not just this expression. We're going to look at some other things today. But this, this, this touches my heart. This is what this idea, when we talk about the audience here. Notice in verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus. They're stood by the cross of Jesus. They weren't hiding. And by the way, they weren't there to sing, oh, we're loyal. Nobody else is here, but they weren't there because of bravado. They were compelled to be there. But they were there because, for two reasons, they were there because of grief and they were there because of love. Because grief and love are synonymous. And they didn't know what to do. And the Bible says they, they just stood there. The word stood there. They, they stood by the cross of Jesus. The word stood there. Here's what it means. The Greek language is very technical. It means to continue in the same place. They, they couldn't do anything else. They couldn't do anything else. They just stood there. This past week when we went over to uh, uh, Ken and Karen's house, and um, we watched Karen care for her mom when kind of she didn't know we were watching. And there was a chair. There was a chair by the bed. And sometimes she just sat there. And I'm sure Ken had sat there. You know, what do you do when, when someone you love is dying? You can't fix it. You ever go to the funeral home with somebody you love has passed away? And the family's there and you love them? I'm talking about somebody you love. I don't mean it's an acquaintance where you're going by to to express your kind courtesies, which is very proper. But someone you have an affection for. And you, you can't leave. I remember with my father, I, I went into the funeral home an hour early. I called the funeral home and told my family I was going in an hour before them. I, I got a chair. And and I just sat there, just me and my dad. And I looked at his hands, his big paws. My dad had big hands and his face and his head and his lips that he used to encourage me with that are cold now. And grief brought me there, but love brought me there. We um, buried my mom, say, lowered her down into the grave. Went back to the church to eat, and the crowd began to thin. And uh, 
I told Paula, I said, I, I just want to wait till everything's finished. So Paul and I stood there and waited till everything was finished. I just stood there. It was cold. December the 22nd, 23rd. Would you have been by the cross that day? You don't know. I think sometimes we say, oh, I would have. Well, so did Peter. But he wasn't. But are you are you close to the cross today? Now they're stood by the cross of Jesus. This just touches me. Last week I told you a story about Fanny Crosby and read you some of her lyrics. And we sang this morning one of my favorite hymns. And it's it's my prayer. One of my favorite lyrics she ever, I suppose my favorite lyrics she ever wrote. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Lord, help me, help me never get over it. May this be like a like an MRI machine or, or like a thermometer that because this this affects this affects me. It affects you. And it tells on us. Shows us where we're at. Paul wrote and said to Galatians six fourteen, but God forbid that I should glory saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I looked up the word forbid this week, and the forbid is just a single negative, and here's what it means. It's, a, it's an absolute denial. It just means this, but God, no. No, it's underlined. It's like several, no, no. God, No. That I should glory. The word glory means to boast or to rejoice in. That I should boast in anything else besides Jesus and, and what he did for me. But but I'm going to drift. Listen, listen, I'm going to drift. If I just pick up my Bible and I go to church. And I don't think about the words to the songs we sing. And I don't listen to the Word of God. And I don't get in the Word of God and, and for myself and, and not just study it, but marinate in it. I'm going to drift. You see, there's a difference in uh, knowing about Jesus and knowing about God and loving Jesus. How close are you to to the cross? How close are you to Jesus? Now, I don't know how far I get, but these four people that we want to talk about this morning, first of all, notice in verse 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. 
his mother. Where was his dad? His stepfather, actually. The Bible never calls Jesus. Joseph, his father. Most Bible teachers, and I believe too, he had passed away by then. The last mention of Joseph is when Jesus was 12 years old. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. You'll see in a moment he's 12, so in a little over 20 years, at the same time of year, Passover, he will go there. But he will be the Passover. All these little lambs are there. He will be the lamb. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child, Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother, he's never called his father just because he was his stepfather. The Holy Spirit of God implanted the seed in Mary. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, I did some research on this, and most people lived 60, 70 years old. But on the other hand, it was not uncommon for people to die in their 30s and 40s because they didn't have antibiotics and people died earlier. Maybe We don't know how Joseph died. He was a carpenter, but apparently he had passed away. But now there stood by the cross of Jesus, there was his mother. And besides the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody suffered that day more than Mary. When Jesus was eight days old, they went from Bethlehem. They went back to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, they take him to dedicate him to God. And also for his circumcision, it's interesting on the eighth day that your body produces vitamin K, which is a clotting agent. And God told, instructed the Jewish people for that to be the day of circumcision. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means the coming of the Messiah. When Israel will be encouraged, things begin to come together. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into his temple, into the temple. Three times the Holy Spirit's mentioned about this man. May we be like this man. So full of God. So sensitive to God. And he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents... Brought in the child Jesus, he's eight days old, a little over a week old, to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he him, that is Simeon, took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the light, the face of all thy people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy 
people Israel. And Joseph and his mother, there it is again, see, he's not his father. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. You see, they didn't fully understand the gospel. They didn't understand. They knew he was the son of God. They knew he was the Messiah, but they didn't. They were still piecing this together, just like the disciples later on. And watch this. And Simeon, this godly man, who, who was in his late 80s, and there was a lady there too. We won't talk about her right now. Another precious godly woman. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, and remember he's talking to Mary, not Joseph. Yea, a sword, look at this, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. This was a prophetic word. A sword, he's talking to Mary. Jesus is eight days old, he's holding the baby, and he says, Mary, a sword is going to pierce through your soul. Now, when you read that, what do you think about it? You say, well, preacher, I think about a broken heart. And it's true. But it's more. It includes having a crushed heart. But I want you to understand the word soul includes more than just your, your emotions. The word soul is a synonym for your whole life. Here's what Simeon was saying. Mary, your whole life is going to be crushed. A sword was going to pierce through your soul. I, I wrote down just a few things. How difficult it was to be the parents of Jesus, especially the mother of Jesus. In John chapter 8 and verse 41, the Pharisees said to Jesus one time, they said, we be not born of fornication. And it indicates that the gossip and the slander that had gone on and the mockery, and he's an adult. He's in his ministry days. He's 31 years old, perhaps, 32 years old. And for all of his life, they had called him names, perhaps like bastard, other words. And his mother and his stepfather had been under this cloud of immorality. And then at his birth... <laughs> God had told them, you need to move to Egypt for a while because Herod heard there's another king that's born. And many thousands of young boys were murdered as Herod, insanely jealous, murdered these boys because he was trying to cover for anyone that would vie for his throne. He was crazy. And then when he died, years later, they... Angel came and said, you can move back home. I remember when we were in Bethlehem, I've told you this story before. And we went down into the cave, the traditional site of Jesus' birth. And there's perhaps some good evidence that that's where Jesus was born. And we went further back. There's a series of caves there. And Eli Spector, who was our guide, and I'm sure he's passed away now. He was... 81 then, and that's, that's been over 20 years ago. But sometimes those Jews live a long time. He was a military man in excellent shape. 
But we went back and there were these birds that were literally cut into the stone all over the place. And he told us that when they discovered this section of cave, it was just a labyrinth that went on and on. And he said they were filled with skeletons of little boys and children. And he said they theorized that this is where they had put some of the bodies of these people, these little children and sons that Herod had killed. You say, preacher, why are you telling us that? Because, Mary, listen, Mary knew, Mary knew about this, this assassination of all these children. And a sword, a sword was in her heart. And then it continued, even at age 12, when the separation, when Jesus told her, he said, Wist ye not that I be about my father's business? And then he did submit to his parents. But there was confusion, and they didn't understand. And when you read Luke chapter 2, they didn't fully understand what was going on. And now the full weight, the full weight of this sword, as she's standing, the Bible says, they stood near the cross, and she looked there. And she looked at the hands that were stretched out, and the spikes that were in the hands or perhaps in the wrist, which is considered a part of the hand. Some people think they put it in the hand, it would rip out, so it was in the wrist, which was common for crucifixion. And the nails in the feet. And you moms know, as she began to recall when she helped him learn to walk and toddle and hold those hands. And she looked at his brow, riddled with a crude crown of thorns made by mocking soldiers that was pressed into his brow. In his butchered body, and heard these mocking sneers made by people that she knew that these things were not true, that her son was the most honest, most sincere person that had ever walked the planet. And there was absolutely nothing that she could do but to stand by the cross. And that's what she did. She just stood by the cross. And there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. She just stood there. Arthur Pink said this, If Christ was the man of sorrows, was Mary not the woman of sorrows? You know, when Mary got the word that she was going to bear the, listen, stay with me because this is, I'm going to give you this idea. I'm going to let you go because I don't know that I can finish this anyway right now. But when Mary got this word that she had the privilege to bear the Christ child, the Messiah. And the angel told her the wonderful privilege. She did not comprehend that it would be the greatest of sorrows. And when Simeon told her that a a sword was going to pierce through her soul she could not fathom the depth of that statement 
I remember I remember when uh, I was 19 years old and even before then but in August of 1977 when I surrendered my life to preach I was scared because I was very introverted but I was happy because I was doing the will of God for my life but I never dreamed about being famous those things were not important to me but I dreamed about doing what I'm doing right now about taking the word of God and and helping people and to the best of my ability shepherding people not just behind a desk but sitting in a living room with people when their mother is dying and i thought this this will be a this will be a a good life but i didn't know it would involve suffering i didn't know the privilege the greatest privilege of my life would involve some pain Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. And I want to posit to you today as she stood there, as his sword began to excise in her soul, that there perhaps was a conflict of sorts of, of what, what great joy I've had. But at the very heights of the joy are the depths of sorrow. Part of God's will involves suffering. 100% of the time. This is a spiritual MRI. And some of you are going to get out of the will of God. Because it costs too much. Because it hurt a little bit. But when you get near the cross, you see suffering. You hear the glory part. But Jesus endured suffering for the joy that was set before him. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says, But the God of all grace has called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. We like that part. I like the glory part. After that you have suffered a while. Well, that's not in heaven. After that you have suffered a while. So you can be perfect. That means to be complete to fill in some gaps in your life. Suffering will teach us stuff, man. To establish you. To strengthen you, make you strong, to settle you. To settle you. 
And I want you to notice what gets you through the suffering is the God of all grace. Because here's what God does. God doesn't take your suffering and remove it. Listen to me. God doesn't take your suffering and change it. He transforms that into glory in the next life, in this life. When Paul came to see Ananias, he was blinded. And Ananias didn't want to talk to him because he knew he was a trained assassin. He killed Christians. God said, I want you to minister to him. He said, I don't want to. I know what he does. I don't trust him. God said, I want you to minister to him. Here's what I want you to tell him. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel. Well, that's a good message. Paul, you're a choice. God chose you. You are a vessel. A vessel of honor. That's a good one. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You'll get to travel. And you'll get to be before famous people. You could be famous. For I will show him, God said, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. In a sense, that's God's will for all of us. 1 Peter 5.10, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. I was with my pastor buddies uh, a couple weeks ago, and I told one of my pastor friends, I said, every church that I've been in has had financial trouble. And... uh, One day, it was years ago, I figured this out. It didn't take long. I'm not that stupid to have to figure it out. But I said, Lord, it seems that every place you've put me, there's there's been an adversity here. And one of the things, besides the work that God was doing in me, so that he could do a work through me, was simply this. So that I could make peace with it. Was the Lord seemed to tell me, see, you know what, Rick? There's a lot of guys that can go to conferences and preach big messages and motivate people. And I got a lot of guys that can do some other things, but I need a handful of guys that can come along, some other preachers. They're having a hard time. And they want to quit. And it's just hard. And you can just put your arm around them and say, hey, it's going to be all right. I understand a little bit. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what happened to me and Paula. Let me tell you, let me tell you about some of the people in our church. And how God used them. Let me tell you how God sustained us. But let me tell you a time when I got so far down. 
I've been where you've been. You're going to make it. And God had allowed me to go to the extremities. Maybe to give me a ministry that I wouldn't pick in the catalog, the college. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The word reckon is a faith term. It means to impute. It means to number. It means to account. It's a faith term. Here's what it means. It means you have to do this by faith because sometimes in this present time, it doesn't seem to be worth it. This isn't worth it. But when I was meditating on this this week, I, I saw this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Now watch this. In us. In us. In us. It's the work that God does in me. It's at the cross. It's at the, listen to me. It's at the cross where your perspective is adjusted. It's at the cross. Why, why should he suffer? And you not suffer a little bit? Why should he be forsaken and you not be forsaken? Why should he hurt and you not hurt a little bit? It's going to be all right in a little bit. Now they're stood by the cross. His mother. And besides Jesus, nobody hurt like she did. But because, listen, because she stood by the cross, that old sword that was just cutting her apart in her entire being, there were some things that she was able to make peace with. I'm going to finish this later. Maybe there's one or two of you that you've been having a battle recently or you've been having a battle for 10 or 20 years. You said, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It wasn't fair that Jesus died for your sins. But when you stand near the cross, you get a perspective. And you lay all this stuff down. And the poison of bitterness is removed. And all the anger and your negativity is removed. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Keep its shadow over me. Keep its scenes before me. And help me walk from day to day. Just bow your head with me, would you?